Well, this week, an earth-shattering thing happened with Roe versus Wade. That is something that people have been protesting for and praying for for 50 years. I mean, I went to Washington quite a few January 22nds, I think it was 22nd, a lot of January 22nds, and they had big rallies. And what was the purpose of those rallies? was to remember Roe versus Wade is bad and get rid of it. And so uh, no more January 22nd rallies, I wouldn't think, unless we want to have a remembrance of them. But anyway, it's, uh, praise the Lord, that's a really a big thing. And you know, it's a big thing. It's, who is it a victory for? Well, it's a victory for the Christians, but it's also a victory for the Constitution. And you know, the Constitution does not give to the courts the right to make laws. And they have assumed that prerogative and with Roe versus Wade and other things, gay marriage, and the courts think that they can make laws. No, the Congress makes laws, and the courts just interpret the law that the Congress makes, and the president enforces the law that the Congress makes. And the, uh, the president doesn't make laws either. He shouldn't. And so uh, praise the Lord for that. And then I saw a comic last night. Uh, you know, um, on the gas pumps, they like to put, I did this, and it's got Biden there. Well, I did that. Uh, well, they had a comic there with Trump, and with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, I did that. And uh, he did to a great extent. And uh, him and the Republican Senate, they put in three new justices in there that vote, were three of the five that voted to overturn Roe versus Wade. And so praise the Lord for that. Well, let's turn our Bibles to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. We're continuing with our study of the book of 2 Kings, where every week as I preach here, at least most weeks, we're going through this chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through 2 Kings, and we're up to chapter 4 of 2 Kings. And we start reading with verse 42. We're going to skip down to verse 42, and then we're going to go back up to 38. We left off with 37 the last time that we went through 2 Kings here. Why don't we skip down to verse 42 to begin with. And there came a man from Baal Shalishah and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn and the husk thereof. And he said, give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor, servitor said, what, should I set this before an hundred men? He said again, give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Let's bow in prayer, O Lord, we pray that thou bless thy word to our hearts this morning. Forgive us of our sin, in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have a little story here at the end of chapter 4. Of course, these stories are true stories. They actually happen. And we had a guy that brought an offering to the man of God. Why would he bring an offering to the man of God? Well, because he was trying to support the man of God in his work. 
And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The Levites, the priests, got offerings from the people. And today, the preachers get offerings from the people. And in the New Testament, it tells us, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And that's the ideal way is for the preacher to live of his preaching. And he ministers spiritual things, and he gets his support from the congregation. Now, sometimes you have a small congregation where the pastor can't get full support from the congregation, and he has to work a secular job, and so be it. I did that for many years. But the thing is, ideally, he should get his support from the church. And uh, I know down in Brazil, uh, some of the pastors down there like to talk about that they like to have a secular job even though their church could support them. And they say they want to do that because they don't want the church telling them what to do. And they feel dependent on the church if they get supported by the church. Well, uh, the church really shouldn't tell them what to do anyway. And, uh, but anyway, the Bible says that the preacher should get support. And that's what we have here. This man from Baal Shalisha brought this offering to the man of God. And he brought of the first fruits. He brought of the best he had. When we give offerings to the Lord, we give the best we have. We don't give moldy bread, lame, sick sheep, but we give the best we have. And then so he gave his physical offering uh, for the spiritual ministry of the man of God. And then there was a crowd there of a hundred people that needed to eat. And so Elisha said, well, give this offering to the people. And the trouble was that wasn't enough for a hundred people. Uh, but Elisha said, have them come in and we'll feed them with just this. And he fed them and there was leftover. And this is just like the feeding of the 4,000, the 5,000 in the New Testament. Here we have it in the Old Testament with Elisha. And the giving of physical food to the people. But you know what? In the New Testament, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he fed the 4,000, the people came back after that looking for more bread. And they came looking for more things like that. And Jesus reproved them. Jesus said, you shouldn't come looking for the bread. You should look for spiritual things. And sometimes people think, though, if you're going to evangelize people, you have to give them physical things first. Well, you don't give them physical things. Uh, that's not the important thing. Sometimes you do give them physical things, but you don't always have to give them physical things. And you don't have that in the Bible either. Well, let's go back in our passage, back to our main area of looking at, to verse 38. Verse 38. And here we have the interesting story here, the interesting account of the big pot. The big pot with death in it. And we go back to 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a darth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servants, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds, his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. 
So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. And he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, Pour out for the people that they may eat, and there was no harm in the pot. So this is an interesting account here about, first of all, there was a darth in the land. There was a shortage of food. There was no rain. And you know, that's something that we don't see here in the United States. Haven't seen so far, but we're starting to get a few shortages now. And we may see very well in the future shortages of food. But anyway, there was a shortage here. There was uh, no rain, probably. And so they were getting together the meal there. The sons of the prophets were there. The sons of the prophets were the prophets in training there, the sons of the prophets. We have seen that before. And so Elisha says, well, put on the great pot. They had some sort of a big pot. And seethe pottage. And of course, there wasn't much food around, so they went all out to try to gather food from the woods and from around them. And now, bear with me for a second. How how would this person have thought about these things? And what would they have done? Well, uh, to begin with, I would think that perhaps at the beginning there, one of them might have told the others, well, look for this kind of fruit, or look for this kind of gourds. And they're the good ones to eat. And so he's told them that, and then they went out. And there was one guy here, the one guy in particular that's talked about here, and he went out and he just gathered any old thing he found. And you know, he's like, uh, you know, modern people with their postmodern theology. And you know, he probably thought, well, you know, uh, the truth is what I make it. And you know, what's truth to me is truth. And what's truth to you is truth. And there is no absolute truth. And there is no absolute what is good to eat and what is not good to eat. I decided that these gourds are good to eat. Well, you know, that wouldn't work very well, would it? Because there are laws of what's good to eat and what's not good to eat. Natural laws, God's laws. And those natural laws that are God's laws have to be obeyed. And if we don't obey them, then we'll suffer the consequences. Well, this guy here, he didn't want to obey the natural laws. He just wanted to go out and get whatever he wanted. So he got it, and they knew it not. He didn't know what was good and what was bad, and he decided whatever he felt like was good. So he shredded them into the pot, and uh, uh, he put them in the pot. Well, you know, the thing is, the guy that told him which were good and which were bad. Well, he didn't tell him which were bad. He told him which were good. Uh, He could have been seeing the guy with the bad gourds. And he could have known that the bad gourds were wrong and bad. But you know what? He might have had the thought that he never wants to say negative things to people. And he doesn't want to tell him that he's doing something wrong. So he just let him do what he was going to do because he doesn't want to do things negative. 
And, you know, there's a lot of that goes along around today. They don't want to say anything negative. Uh, and then, then the guy might have had the idea, you know, you know, I just tell them what's good, and that's enough. I don't have to tell them what's bad. I just have to tell them what's good. And that's what he had told him. But the problem was he grabbed what was bad. But you know, it would be negative to point out that that was bad. And that's what happens in the church today. People don't want to point out what's bad. Uh, some preachers in Brazil, they said, oh, and here in the United States they do it too. They say, oh, you know, I just preach the gospel. And I just preach the positive things, and that's enough. I don't have to point out negative things. I don't have to point out false doctrine. I don't have to point out false teaching. I just treat, preach the truth. Well, it's not enough. And it wouldn't have been enough here with this pot. Well, they shredded it in there. And then the guy that saw that, he could have said, well, to himself, well, you know, the positive, the good things will outweigh the bad. And then we're just going to mix them all together and, and you know, the, the good will overcome the bad. Well, is that how it works? That's not how it works. That's not how it works in all of society. That's not how it works in the church. And that's not how it worked in the pot. Is when you put the good and the bad together, they mix up, and what happens? The bad contaminates the good. It contaminates it. You know, uh, Ira worked in a uh, kitchen at the school uh, for a little while. And they made a big thing when she was working there about not using a knife for one thing and another thing. That you can't contaminate things. And it, a little bit of the bad will contaminate. And in the big pot, the bad would contaminate everything. Well, then again, maybe the guy might have had the idea, well, you know... I know what are the good gourds and the bad gourds, and I'll just pick out the bad gourds and I'll eat the good gourds. Well, the problem is the good gourds are all contaminated. And, you know, a lot of people don't even know which are the good and which are the bad when you put them all together. And I know, like down in Brazil, uh, they were passing around in the local church a book by a Pentecostal preacher. And I told one person, I said, you know, I don't think that's too great of an idea, you know, to uh, pass that around because there's some stuff in there that's not good. And they said, well, you know, I know there's some stuff in there that's not good, but I just pick out the good. Well, the problem is it gets all contaminated and it's very difficult to pick out what's the good and what's the bad. And so it's just like with the big pot. When you mix it all together, we mix the truth and we mix falsehood. And what do we have? Completely contaminated. And so here we have, that's all through history. Bible teaches separation. The Bible teaches separation. Is that you have to have the good kept separate from the bad. 
The good kept separate from the bad in the church. Good doctrine kept separate from bad doctrine. It has to be kept separate. And all through history, there are problems have arisen due to mixing it all up. What about the Samaritans in the Bible? The Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews, and in some ways it was right that they did, in that the Samaritans, they mixed together everything. They mixed together false religion, heathen religion, with the Jewish religion, and came up with something that was no good. It was all mixed together. And, uh, you know, back in the history of the church, you know, when the, when, under the Roman Empire, there was persecution of the church for many years. And then finally, Constantine come on, came on the scene, and he made Christianity legal and the, uh, the religion of the state. But the problem was, when he made it legal, all the unsaved came into the church and contaminated it. And that was a problem. It's always a problem mixing up the good and the bad. And you know, uh, our Bible Presbyterian Church back in the 1930s decided that it was time to separate from the PCUSA. It was time to separate because it had gone apostate, judicially apostate, and they were persecuting the good Christians, and so they finally decided it was time to separate. Well, you know, there were good uh, preachers in the PCUSA that decided that they would stay in the PCUSA. And they decided that they believed in infiltration. Infiltration. They would be in the PCUSA and they would make it good again. And they would infiltrate it. Well, it's the big pot, the big tent. Well, they went in it and it hasn't gotten any better. It's gotten much worse. Got homosexual preachers and all kinds of stuff in the PCA, PCUSA today. <clears throat> and so here we have separation or the big pot, the big tent. Well, the thing is, many churches, they want a big tent. They want to get everybody in, but it's a problem. Uh, down in Brazil, there's the, uh, the Presbyterian Church of Brazil, which is the big church down there. And right now, that church is controlled by conservatives. But the problem is it's a big tent. And they've got everybody and their brother in that church. They've got the Pentecostals in their whole presbyteries that are Pentecostal, charismatic. They got, they got liberals in there. They got everybody in there. And that's no good. And eventually that's going to tell, and eventually the liberals are going to win out. You can bet on it. It's contaminated. We have to go apart from that contamination. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that we're supposed to be separate, saith the Lord. We're not going to be infiltrating in the big pot and thinking that we're going to make it better. It's, uh, there's a time to separate. And so we need to look out for things that contaminate, wild gourds, things that are outside of the Bible. And so often, people want to come up with innovations in the church, innovations that aren't scriptural. And you go back to the Roman Catholic Church, they're one of the great ones with that. 
And they've come up with so many innovations that aren't in the Bible. And they got all these things, like the worship of Mary. They have all these things like uh, doctrines of indulgences, of, of uh, uh, all kinds of things. The Pope. And they've made all these things outside of the Bible. They've brought them into their church. And they're not from the Bible, and they have contaminated the church. Well, that's why there was the Reformation. Because in the Reformation, they came out of that church. And they were separate with Martin Luther and John Calvin and the rest. What about the Puritans down through history? Over in England, we had the Puritans came over to Jamestown uh, with our starting of the U.S. Well, why did they have the name Puritan? They wanted to purify the church. They wanted to get rid of those thin innovations that had come into the church that were not according to God's word. And you know, there's a principle that's often been stated by Presbyterians and others, and it's called the, <clears throat> the regulative principle. And that is that, <clears throat> my voice is giving me trouble today. But anyway, the regulative principle is that, you know, we should not, we should regulate our worship by God's word. And we shouldn't put anything into worship that isn't from God's word. And, you know, we should have a simple worship that's according to God's word. And a simple worship has what? Well, it has praying, it has preaching, it has singing, it has giving offerings, and that's about it. That's a simple worship. And you might have a few announcements uh, thrown in or something, but you know, it's, it should be regulated according to God's word, our worship. And not just bring in a bunch of stuff and mix it all together and think that it's good. It'll be contaminated. And then we go on. Well, you know, people want to always have these additions. And you know, False religion is not all false. You know, false religion always has some truth to it. Even the Muslims have some truth to it. They say you should help the poor. Well, that's true. And you know, the, uh, the Catholics, Ira was listening to a thing on the internet from Brazil this week, and... Uh, it had a Roman Catholic padre on there, a father, and he was telling about raising children and disciplining children. Everything he said was really good. And you know, the Roman Catholics can say some good things. They can be against abortion, which is good. And they can uh, say some other good things. But the, what they do is they mix the true and the false together. And, and you know, it, it would be obviously false if it was all false. But it's true and false all mixed together. And, you know, today we have, and of course, something they mix together in the Roman Catholic Church and in just about all false religions is they have faith, but they add to faith works. And you have faith plus works, which is contaminated. And then people like to bring everything from the world into the church. And it's bad. And people want to bring psychology into the church. Mix it all together in the great pot. 
Well, we don't want the principles of... Of course, psychology says a few good things, but it has false things. And we don't want to bring that into the church. Then evolution. People want to bring evolution in the church and want to say, oh, well, you know, it took millions of years at the beginning. It wasn't just seven literal days. It was seven million years for when God created the heavens and the earth. Well, they want to bring all those things in from the world. Now, they like to bring sales techniques into the church. And uh, I think I've mentioned it to you before one time, is that I was in a soul-winning class in a Baptist church, and the pastor said, when you ask somebody if they want to get saved, you shake your head yes. That's a sales technique. You want to get them to do it. But we don't have any place for those sales techniques in the church. The Spirit needs to work on people's hearts and get them saved, not our sales techniques sell them on Christianity. And so there's so many things that can come into the church and be mixed all together in the great pot. And we don't want a great pot. Why are so many churches changing their names today? And they make, you know, just completely uh, uh, names that, that are completely neutral. And over in Delaware, we have the town. And there's uh, a lot of other churches like that, uh, or Reach, or other churches. Why do they come up with names like that? Well, because they want a big tent. And they don't want to discourage anybody from coming in. And they want to bring everybody in. And of course it's true, you want to have come as you are. That's good. Come as you are. But you don't want to stay as you are. You want to be changed by the gospel. And so uh, we don't want the big pot with all kinds of contamination in it. Well, let's turn back a little further back in the Old Testament to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 17. Jeremiah 23 and verse 17. Going further back in the old, along in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 23, 17. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord has said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. Well, I've been saying a lot about Brazil today. I guess it uh, comes into the subject of the big pot. But anyway, uh, down in Brazil, they have the preaching of prosperity. We have that in the United States too. And they like to tell everybody that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that you will have peace, as they did back in Jeremiah's time. You will have peace. No evil shall come upon you. But the problem was, back in Jeremiah's time, these were people that were walking in the imagination of their own hearts. They weren't serving the Lord. They were walking in their wicked ways, and yet they were told that they would have peace. Well, see, they they took a bit of truth and mixed it with falsehood. The truth is, is the Bible does say ye shall have peace. 
The Bible does say the thoughts that I have of you are thoughts of prospering you. It does say that. But it has to be in context. And the context is of a Christian that is serving the Lord. He's going to have peace. Not just everybody. And so there's some truth and falsehood mixed together. Then go back down to verse 14. Back to verse 14. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of the evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Well, the prophets, they are wicked, they're doing wickedness, and they're strengthening the hands of the evildoers. And so these people that mix the truth and this falsehood, when they tell the people that they're going to have peace, that the Lord's going to heal them, that the Lord's going to prosper their business and all those things, when they're walking in wickedness, they're strengthening the hands of the wicked, of the evildoers. Mixing the truth with falsehood. And then skip down to verse 26. 26. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets to prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? And so, here we have... Uh, the people that tell their dreams, what I have dreamed. Uh, Joseph Smith, when he started the Mormons, it was all about these dreams he had and visits by the angels and all these things. And the Pentecostals like to talk about their dreams. Well, back in Jeremiah's time, they talked about their dreams. And they mixed the dreams in with the word of the Lord But here Jeremiah says you have to separate the wheat from the chaff. The dreams are chaff. What is the wheat? The wheat is my word. My word, God's word, is like as a fire and like a hammer that breaketh in rock the pieces. And so we need to stick close to God's word. We need to see what's according to God's word. We need to study God's word. We need to know what it says. And we need to put it into practice. Not mix it all together with a bunch of false things, a bunch of innovations. And then one more passage we want to look at in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We were in Peter earlier in Sunday school. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Of course, you might say, oh man, all those things we were studying about the pot and about the dreams and all that, that's all, all Old Testament. Well, we got the same stuff in the New Testament, and Old Testament is part of God's Word too. Well, we have 2 Peter chapter, 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 1. And there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you 
who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Well, here we have some pretty strong words about false teachers. That's not all just good. You know, when people say that the sign of the church doesn't matter, what the church is called doesn't matter, you know why they say it doesn't matter? It's because they think all of them are good. But they're not all good. And there are false teachers, there are false doctrines. And it has some pretty strong words for, for these false teachers and false doctrines. And you know, why do people preach many of these false doctrines? They give people what they want. People want to hear that I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. They want to hear that. And they'll come all day to hear that. And so they teach them that. But you know, what's the end of all that? What's the end of that mixing the truth with falsehood in the big pot? Well, what was the end of it back there in Elisha's time? What did the man cry out to Elisha? Oh, thou man of God, there is death in the pot. There is death in the pot. And when you mix in a bunch of false religion with true religion and put it all in a big pot, what do you have? You have death. There's death in the pot. And of course, in Elisha's time, he healed the pot. He put in a little bit of meal and, and it was good again. And does that mean every time we have a, a poisonous pot of stuff, we can put some meal in there? No. That's just a one-time miracle. A lot of people say you can do every miracle in the Bible today, and why don't we do all those miracles today? Well, they were one-time miracles. And that was a one-time miracle with the pot, with the meal in it. But you know, it was serious when they had mixed those things together. Those people could have died from that mixing things together. They could have died from that guy deciding, well, I think these gourds are good. They could have died from that. And what about today with spiritual things? You know, it's even more serious death in the pot today with spiritual things. And there is death in the pot if we mix all these false religions together, all these false ideas, and mix it all in. No. We want to have our Christianity pure, just like the Puritans back in the past. And so what we need to do is study this word, rightly divide this word. We need to study the scriptures daily to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And of course, that guy with the gourds, it would have been good at the beginning for him to have paid attention to the natural laws and study which gourds are good and which gourds are bad. And then he wouldn't have had death in the pot. And we need to study God's word to see what's good and what's bad. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord, we pray that thou bless these thoughts to our hearts. And O Lord, help us not to have the attitude of the great pot and help us to want to have a pure religion undefiled before thee. In Jesus' name, amen.